following podcast is brought to you by MassiveSports.com, your home for Orioles and Nationals baseball. Hey, Oats fans, welcome to the latest episode of Yard Work. Uh, I'm Brian Eller uh, with Orioles beat writer Steve Molesky. And, Steve, I think it's been the busiest week uh, of our podcast so far in terms of things that have gone down since we last talked. Um, you know, we've got a pretty successful homestand. The, of course, the brawl got national attention. Oh, by the way, there's the first-year player draft that's going on. Uh, but I think i got to start out by asking you how that trip to Toronto is going because I know you got off to a rough start with losing your luggage uh, yesterday. What Can you give us a status update on that? I know fans are going to want it. <laughs> the, hard, the hard-hitting part. Oh, man, we got to have a better <laughs> topic than that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, man, I have, a, I have a bag that's full of clothes. Well, not full of clothes, but... Has some clothes in it, and I don't have it. So that's a long, sad story, and I've got better topics to discuss. That's true. But like than that, but that was uh, the ballpark, and you cover the team, and it all all's well. So that was just uh, a little, little fun at your expense. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's been an interesting few hours. It's been uh, it's been challenging, but um, yeah. you know, Toronto is is really a beautiful city. It's it's yeah. uh, I like coming here. It's the second year in a row. I've been able to come up here, and so this will be a great place to have plenty of time to not have to run back and forth, but to the airport looking for your bag, right? That you didn't find. But it's a nice small park, and the city's beautiful, and Rogers Center's really good. And you know, uh, we're taping this after the first game of the series, and that certainly was a good start to the um, the road trip for the Orioles. It was impressive yeah. comeback win. I think it was. I think it was really critical. I mean, you take a look at this road trip and. Uh, you know, particularly because a they're on the road where they were before last night. I think they were only 11 and 12, so they're still kind of scuffling along. Um, but they're playing two AL East opponents, and the two AL East opponents that are on their heels, or at least close, most closely, in Toronto and Boston. So I think to to get that opener yesterday, especially when Tyler Wilson, you know, he ended up having a, an okay start. He kind of settled in, but. I think you watched the first couple of innings, and I think most fans kind of sat back and thought, oh, boy, okay, what's, uh, this could be a long night. But um, i got to tell you, he kind of settled down and then let the offense really take over, which is, uh, you know, certainly has worked more often than not this year. So I thought that was a great win for them. Well, Buck is a big fan of Tyler Wilson. I think it's right. pretty clear, man. You can tell his comments. He's re- he, really, he really likes his competitiveness, his poise, um, his fire. And so – in the box score last night, it didn't look like it was a real good game for him. And early on, he was getting hit really hard. Right. But what he did do, you know, if you think about it, uh, in this context, last night the Orioles' bullpen was a little shorthanded. He did not want to use Brock. He had Givens for a minimal amount. And so he really didn't want to have to go to a long man um, there. And Bundy was really impressive in relief. I think that his velocity yeah, was the too. best I've seen this year for him. And, um, you know, Britton rolled through the ninth on eight pitches. So that was good. And and, and Buck was impressed that Tyler uh, bent but didn't break. And he didn't want to have to go to the pen the second or third. And because he was able to at least uh, get kind of get it together out there and give him some length and some innings, uh, he didn't have to. Absolutely. And I think, you know, of course, Wilson, like you said, he wasn't wasn't that great if you look at his stat on paper. But I think I think initially you might look at that first and second inning and think, man, he might he might be lucky to go three or four innings. But like you said, he was able to kind of take pressure off Buck off that bullpen. Bundy again, like you said, going going that long stretch and actually got the win last night. So that was good for him to see. Um, 
it was kind of weird because up until last night, I mean, the Orioles' starting rotation has been, gosh, pretty pretty darn good over these uh, this past week or so on the homestand. I think he had really consecutive great starts from you know Gosman, even though he didn't get the win in the finale against the Yankees. He uh, certainly put them in positions to win, which is great. Mike Wright comes back um, and is just you know sensational with that. Cabaldo again, not a great start on paper, but again. He made the pitches when he needed to make them. He got out of the jams, which seemed to be every inning, and the Orioles, you know, uh, got that nine to one blowout win. And then Tillman, of course, just again kind of showing that he's taking the lead and is the, the true number one starter for the Orioles. So, have, were you impressed? How impressed were you with the the home stand, particularly starting pitching from what you saw in those those back to back? Well, it was good, and I mean, I don't want to take anything away from as good as they've been. We do know that the Royals were struggling and not hitting much, and had some right. injuries, so they they faced. They depleted Royals lineup and they handled it really well. Right. Um, you know that was sweep was impressive um, by the Orioles. And you know uh, going into the game on Thursday night in Toronto, they had given up three runs total in four games, and then the Blue Jays got that in their first six batters. So it just shows you the yeah, difference. <laughs> and that's where uh, Wilson. You know that's some of the loudest balls. I mean, it, it reminded me of last year when the Orioles was a house of horrors up here for them. But uh, this time, it had that look, but in the end, they got a win. Right. And, of course, um, yeah, I think the, the highlight or the lowlights, or at least the certainly most talked about item from that homestand Tuesday night, um, you know, Jordana Ventura, Manny Machado. I've, I Just overall, I mean, we've heard everybody's thoughts on that, but it just kind of your impression on, on, on what happened, uh, you know, was do you, do you take sides on this? What, just sort of give me your overview, Steve, on, on what you feel about the whole situation. Well, I think the MLB took, took the side that Ventura was more to blame. He got the longer suspension. Of course, right. the obvious thing, as fans will point out, if you're a starting pitcher, that's really only one start he could potentially miss with nine games. Exactly. And Manny will miss four games, being the shortstop uh, or third baseman if Hardy were, is back by the time he finally serves his thing. Right. Probably not. So that's a tough one for the Orioles. I, I think... The reaction I got from the players that night was pretty clear that they felt Manny was left little choice there. Um, Ventura, uh, the, the history goes back at least to last September when Ventura hit Machado, and it didn't seem like uh, he took kindly to it then and thought there was some intent then. And so then you come into this game, and he buzzes him twice, and then he hits him a third. So that's three pitches in his direction. Certainly the third one clearly had intent, and MLB even agrees with that, if not all three. I think it was the fastest pitch he threw all night, too. Yeah, it was. It was. So um, on the night he was wild, he didn't wasn't on that pitch. He hit, he hit his target. <laughs> and Ventura really, it was, it's very interesting, some of the comments that, you know, uh, have come out. Um, Ubaldo Jimenez, a fellow Dominican, was saying that night, you know, he, he needs some help here. Someone needs to reach out to this guy. and I would think, looking back now, that the Royals' coaches would have gone up to him and said, don't hit anybody here. Right. We're not doing that. This is over. We're playing baseball. We need to win. They're in a, they were in a losing streak. So I don't know. Maybe they told him that and he did it anyway. Maybe they didn't tell him that. But, you know, Manny's reaction wasn't – he wasn't perfect either because he didn't run out the fly ball and he jawed at him and he kind of provoked him in that sense. But I think Ventura was more at fault. And uh, this dated beyond the game that night, and it boiled over on the field. And I think Ventura, you know, 
he doesn't bat <laughs> in that game. And you, you just, I think the Orioles just felt we couldn't just sit there. We, we, we couldn't just take it. We had to do something about it, and they did. Right. Yeah, I, I, I would call that the appropriate response. Certainly, you don't, you don't like to see that happen. And, and I think in the long run, the Orioles might pay a little bit more of the price again, like you said, because Ventura, you see the nine-game suspension, you think, boy, they really cracked the whip on him. Uh, but like you said, that could translate if the Orioles are smart about it. Uh, you know, go to one start, uh, you know, two at the most. But uh, Ventura, four and four this year, five point three two ERA. So I think he's got some other things to worry about, other than you know, trying to be tough guy on the mound. And and um, like you said, the Royals are they're scuffling right now. They they got injuries. Their offense is struggling. They're kind of losing that grasp on the division a bit. It's still early, but yeah, I, I agree with that. It was uh, certainly interesting to see. I I I wonder. Do you think any chance Machado gets it shortened on any appeals? I guess there is a chance. Um, a lot of people's reactions seem to be this was pretty short to begin with, mm-hmm. considering precedent and players charging the mound and throwing a punch. Uh, that four games was light to begin with, but um, I'm sure the Orioles feel it could be reduced further. One reason they're appealing this. And so I'm going to guess it doesn't get reduced, but the Orioles are going to hold out hope that it, cho- it gets chopped further down. Right. And it was a little strange. I guess it's apples and oranges. I know Buck said you can't really can't compare incidents with each other, but when, you know, I think he was suspended for five games in 2014 for, you know, kind of letting that bat go in the direction of uh, against the athletics there. And that, that was, I was kind of surprised that, you know, you, you run out and you actually land a punch and, and start a fight there and, and you get fewer games than, you know, tossing that bat. But, uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with you. I don't, I don't quite see uh, the appeal, but if, if maybe if they, do uh, is successful, maybe it goes down to three games, so Manny only misses maybe one one series or, or something to that effect, but um, it's always interesting, both the, the two most exciting I guess, uh, bench-clearing brawls that have happened this year, Blue Jays and Rangers and the Royals and Orioles, they, it happened right, they, the teams don't play each other unless they see each other in the postseason, so you know, for if you're a fan of that, that drama and that, that action, you might have to wait until playoffs before these teams really see each other again, which is kind of a bummer, but yeah. um, Somebody said, uh, Again, so much reaction nationally on this because it involves such big-name players. And even Buck Walter asked reporters yesterday, why is this such a lingering story? And I guess it's because we don't see it every day in the sport. It did involve big names. Right. And today, anything in today's media world, 24-7, constant tweets, constant reporting, everything gets written up like it's the World Series, you know, sometimes. And so this 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 one really blew up. Uh, but someone said, you know, what Ventura did is the opposite of tough. You know, when you plant a ball at an innocent sure. batter who, who has no, what what can the batter do besides get out of the way? Right. You know, he can't. He's not supposed to charge the mound. He can't pitch against you. What, what recourse does he have? He's Absolutely. there. It's not like you're playing football and he can level you on the next running play that comes. You run to him, or it's a basketball game where he can try to shut you out in the fourth quarter and beat your team. You know, besides beating the opponent, uh, you don't have much recourse there. And you know, especially if you know, why did he throw the ball at Manny? Was it because of he jawed at him? Then he, that's an overreaction. Uh, is it because the Orioles were kicking his butt? That's that's lame. Then, right? You know, if the team's kicking you, you know what? Then just that's that's on you. Right. That's, that's they're doing what they're supposed to do, aren't they? So um, Ventura, a lot of talent. People respect his ability, and 
the Royals need to get him under control. And I think another reason it's lingered, at least, you know, for, for Orioles fans is, you know, this wasn't the 25th man on the roster that, that went on but got plunked. You know, this is Machado, who's, you know, the, the arguably the face of the franchise, certainly supposed to, to lead the team for the future. And you don't, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I think you, you, you kind of think a little bit there, and that's your, that's your superstar. And, Boy, I think uh, I think I think almost it seems like almost the city of Baltimore took it personally, or the way they're hanging on to it. But um, you know, it, it, time will pass, and they'll they'll continue to play. Uh, we'll see how the, the appeals go for both Ventura Machado. But um, but that shouldn't it, it's that's really the one of the few blemishes on an otherwise pretty impressive homestand. Like I said, seven and three. I know they were going against a depleted Royals team. Um, you know, they took the series from the Yankees. They almost came back on that that Saturday night game. That that nice six run. Curious rally that just fell a little bit short, but um, what have you? Are you are you happy with with what's going on with that? I'm never too. It seems like whenever the Orioles rotation does well for a time, you never want to jump too too excited for it. Just like when they struggle, you kind of say, okay, well, wait. It's just very. It seems to be more that that ebb and flow so far. Well, it's going to be interesting. Um, Gallardo is going to pitch Monday. For AAA, and then that sets him up to return to the rotation Saturday against the Blue Jays at home when they come to Baltimore, you know, in about a week. Right. And then that's one too many starters at that point. So we're going to see how they maneuver that to get him back. It buys him about a week now with Gallardo taking another minor league rehab. And uh, it's it's been said of this rotation, they don't have to be the third or fourth best or better in the American League, but it, it's, it's not going to help if they're 11th, 12th, or 13th. They probably need to be middle of the pack somewhere. If they can be a little better than that, as they were fifth in 2014, you look at what the team can do with a rotation that can be fifth in ERA, as they were in 2014. And so, you know, we're not they're not shooting for this guy here. They're shooting for adequate or better than adequate or decent or good, some some somewhere in there. And that, that will be with this team and the other strengths it has that could be enough i know it's darn near impossible to ask you to get inside the mind of, of buck showalter but do you think at this point you know with Gaiardo's return you know on, on the horizon um does he have a guy in mind to that you think he thinks he'll, he'll leave out of the rotation or do you think it it really could be up until you know a couple of days before because it seems like each start you kind of look at you know whether it's a Mike Wright or a Tyler Wilson, say, oh, see, this is why we need to keep them in, or what do you what do you kind of think if you kind of think a little bit ahead strategically? Is there a guy that most likely will be pulled out when Gallardo is ready to come back? I mean, I think Ubaldo is still probably on the shakiest ground, right? But unlike Mike Wright and Tyler Wilson, he cannot be optioned. So there's the separator there. Right. Uh, it's not simply a matter of who's pitching the worst; he's out. Uh, if it were. Dan Ubaldo probably is the top of the list of those whose whose rotation spot is the shakiest. Having said that, he might put you no hitter his next time out, and all exactly. of a sudden he's back in. So, as you said, this is almost an hour-to-hour, inning-to-inning thing. And sometimes a week from now, Brian, everything may be totally different. There may be injuries. There may be something going on, a trade. Who knows? I mean, none of this I'm saying is, is on the horizon or I'm saying is imminent. But – it just so many times in baseball we look and we predict who's going to go, what will happen, and then something happens to make it obvious. And maybe this will not be one of those times. But right now, Ubaldo's on the shakiest ground, my, that's my opinion. And I think um, even with that, it still could be one of the young guys because that's an easier move for them. Right. And so if Ubaldo 
leaves the rotation but not the roster, then he's in the bullpen, and they don't seem to be thrilled with that option either. Right. Yeah, that 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 I know a lot of fans are clamoring to that, but yeah, that doesn't seem like the ideal situation. So we'll we'll see. I, I kind of do think it'll be a a close decision, uh, you know, when, when the time comes. But we'll see. Um, so we the Orioles currently have a lot of young guys in the rotation. Uh, last night, first uh, two rounds of the first year player drafts, they picked up even some more young pitchers. I know uh, you were able to talk to Gary Race just a few times over the past couple weeks and. Um, they seem like they were able to go out and get a few college starting pitchers, which is what they were looking for. Um, Cody Sedlock got picked with the 27th overall selection. He comes out of University of Illinois. Uh, right-handed pitcher. Um, I don't know if you had some time to kind of take a look at him and, and, and uh, at least uh, learn up a little bit. I was reading about him last night. He was Big Ten Conference Pitcher of the Year um, and a reliever his first two seasons at Illinois. Now, I heard some speculation that they might he might – destined to be for a reliever role, but again, there's there's no way to actually foresee that because it's so far in advance, but um, I guess in your brief research, and what do you know about Sedlock? What do you like about him? Uh, what's your sort of assessment from him? It's interesting that he went from reliever to starter. Usually mm-hmm. you see the other, even on the college level, um, and so when they selected him in on uh, Thursday night, I, I noticed right away some of the experts who really know these guys, like the Baseball America guys, were tweeting about, uh, one tweet was, his last six starts, I think three or four times, he went nine innings or more. One time he pitched ten innings and two-thirds or ten and a third. Right. I mean, this guy, he hasn't gone deep into games. He's gone into extra innings. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that, and, and it looks like his overall innings total is not crazy high. I think 101 for college is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's definitely got some innings there, and the Orioles seem to think he could go fast. And that it was uh, going into the draft. Yes, they wanted pitching, but I didn't know they would take three pitchers the first three. And so that's the message there, man. That you just can never have enough pitching. You right. have to keep pounding it into your system. And not only did they get three pitchers, they got three college pitchers. Who even if they start as low as say Aberdeen this year. That means that next year could be Delmarva, Frederick, or Bowie in there somewhere. And then maybe by the end of next summer, they're knocking on the door. And maybe they're even faster than that. So um, they seem to really like this, those top three guys. And so all of them can touch the mid-90s. they got power arms. They're durable. A couple of them have real good size. So the profile is there for these right. guys. So now we see what it looks like when the time comes. Absolutely. And I know, I think when you talked to Gary, he had talked about, you'd asked him, hey, do you prefer college guys or high school guys? And he kind of said, you know, wherever the talent is, that's where we're going to get it. I don't like to really eliminate either side of things. Do you personally, Steve, do you, do you have you, in your experience covering the minor leagues and, 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 you know, spending time with that, do you, do you feel like college guys are a little bit more well suited for the high school uh, than high school, or is it really truly uh, you know kind of a grab bag and, and just based on on the talent of each individual? Well, fans gravitate towards college because there's a little more of a track record and they're closer to the major leagues. Right. But the reason you need both is first of all you're going to draft forty forty one players in the Orioles' case. So you need a cross-section of all of the above. You're not going to just go pick 35 out of 40 college guys. So there's going to be high school guys in here. In this specific year, they weren't their top picks. Uh, But 
one reason they like college guys, Brian, there's many reasons for that. You take a kid at 18, the finished product can get to the majors at 21, maybe. A college pitcher might be 22, 3, or 4. You can get them to the majors at a younger age. You get them in your system sooner. You have your hands on them in formative years where you can then work on their pitch mechanics, their nutrition, their off-season program, the mental part of their game, all these things that the college they go to may be good at it or maybe they won't. So if you take a high school kid, pitcher or player, at 18, you've got you've got him. He's yours. And now you can mold him the way you want. You can, like I said, nutrition, work ethic, work habits, learn to pro ball. All these things wouldn't bat in the, in the, in the case of position players they'll be using every day, not the aluminum. So there's a lot of reasons to take both. And the stats have shown over many years, over many studies, that there is no demographic that that skews out more players. Um, and Jim Callis, the thing he's told me, and it stuck with me because no one knows the draft better than him, right. formerly from Baseball America, now MLBPipeline.com, he has said in the entirety of the draft, many years, there are six to eight elite players. That's not even one per team. That's not even a half per team. And so your odds of getting Machado is very hard, and when you get them, be thrilled you got Machado because there may not be one in this draft or next draft or the year after this draft. And so everybody thinks, yeah, Mike Trout, Machado, look at these guys, Harper, but then there are years where there isn't a player like that. So the bottom line is there are not a lot of stars in the draft. There are not a lot of players in the draft. Out of 40 picks, if you get three that are really contributing to your team, Scouts say that's a good draft. That math always blows me away, and they're not wrong. And, and we can pick a team from a given year, Brian, and go, look, well, these guys got seven. Well, okay, take ten other years for that team and watch. Oh, this year they got one, and right. you're going to find it because the math tells you what it is, and it's hard to get players out of the draft, but you still have to do it because, A, you have to stock your minor league teams. You have to pump players into the system, even if they're never going to make it to Baltimore. you still got to have players for those teams who are going to try to make it to Baltimore. And so that's what's always struck me about the draft. It's just hard to get players. It's not an excuse. It's the fact of the draft. You don't take high school over college. You never. You, I don't think you ever go in and say, we don't take high school pitchers, or we only take this, or we take a lot more of this than that. You just have to be open to all of it. This specific year for the Orioles, it was clear um, – that college pitching was on their mind when that draft sure. got underway. Yeah, I, I tell you, I've never really sat back and thought about that, but you're right. Out of a, a selection of 40, there might be three or four that you know turn out to be productive, and that's considered a success. That's, that's so discouraging, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I, and and if, if people yeah, keep it. comparing it to the NFL erroneously, I don't know why oh, every yeah. year, every tough. year, the NFL out of seven rounds of a draft, a team might have three to five players, and those players are helping immediately because right. their farm system is college football. Right. And in baseball, they don't produce immediately. Some do, but it's again, this is very rare. You get Chris Sale and you draft him, and a few games later he's helping you win. Again, that's the exception. The rule is that doesn't happen. Right. So the fans who are aiming for the sky in the draft are going to always be disappointed. And the fans always say to me they haven't produced a stud pitcher since Messina. Well, Zach Britton's the best closer in the game, and he was their third-round pick. That's a, There's a lot of value there. And I'll bet you Zach Britton, if they started him tonight, might pitch seven scoreless. He's that good. 
But he's not going to start because he's locked into the role they need him in right now. Absolutely. Michael Givens was a shortstop. He's now a leading reliever. That's success. That's a great development know. story. So, you know, I fought this battle many years, Brian, where fans just say, I'm just taking up for the team. But I'm just pointing out, this is hard. It's hard for all teams. The Red Sox have some young stud talent right now, and they're to be commended for that. But tell me another team like the Red Sox. There isn't one. Right. They're the best team right now with these, some of these young players and a lot of draft hits. And the, who's second? Who knows? But there's no one equating to the Red Sox right now, and they're doing it very well currently. Five years from now, it may not be that. For many years, Tampa was the model. And then Tampa, uh, fans haven't noticed it, but they fell off the map for about five years in producing sure. talent. It goes up and down. Up and down. And no one noticed, Brian, because of their reputation. It was like, well, Tampa's the best farm. Well, it's like, well, yeah, well, that was five years ago, you guys. Right. And so no one noticed that for most of those five years, they weren't producing homegrown talent, and they were leading Major League Baseball in suspensions of minor league players, by far. And so, uh, long-winded answer, this is hard, and you, but you, it's what the system is, and you have to keep trying to do it. And the Orioles use their farm to both, send players to their team, and trade players to help their team, the two main ways you can use it. Absolutely. And just to, just to recap, the first night of action, uh, Cody Sedlock, first-round pick for the Orioles from Illinois. He's a big right-hander, 6'4", 210 pounds. Um, again, got two other college pitchers. they got uh, Keegan Aiken uh, with 54th overall pick, a left-hander out of Western Michigan, and then uh, Messiah Steets out of John A. Logan Community College, also in Illinois, uh, with the 69th overall pick. So uh, more of the draft will go this weekend. There will be a lot of position players and pitchers taken, high school and college, so uh, we'll certainly see how that unfolds. Um, just real quick, Steve, I, we mentioned Gallardo. He's close to returning. He'll do a third rehab start uh, on Monday for Norfolk. Um, any speculation on, on what his goal will be in that rehab start? Is he looking for a lengthy outing? Is he looking for, you know, uh, what, what do you look for, especially when you're – uh, on track to hopefully rejoin the team uh, for that Saturday start on the 18th of June there. Yeah, I think it's just more of the same. You know, mm-hmm. he felt good about his pitches, the finish on his pitches, the late life. It'll just be one more start to bump that pitch count up a little more from 85, maybe take it to 90, 100. Um, just get more innings, get more work, get more comfortable. Um, you know, all more of the same. I think they're very happy with Gallardo's progress and they feel like he has a fighting chance to be decent when he gets back. And as I've said on this podcast, when he gets back, I really think that the bet, we won't judge him too harshly early. Some will, but I, I, I'm going to wait four or five starts to see what it looks like after about a month of Gallardo returning. Is he fully back? Is the velocity there? And beyond the velocity, because he doesn't throw hard to begin with, it's going to be that late life finish and command of the secondaries that he didn't seem to quite have that he feels that he's got better now after the rehab of the shoulder so i'm encouraged by everything i hear and now we just the last the last step is let you know can he get major league hitters out absolutely absolutely and then we'll see if he's able to do that take that next step and like i said we'll be looking forward to watching him start on hopefully saturday june 18th the home game against toronto uh, some things can still change until then but uh he's certainly on track uh for hopefully making that appearance there so um, as we close out, again, the Orioles took the first game against Toronto last night. They got three more uh, north of the border, and then they go uh, a little bit south over to Boston uh, for three at Fenway, um, and then they'll return home for a homestand. With that, the, the makeup date road game at Texas squeezed in there on Monday the 20th. That's a little odd, but 
it was the rainiest spring I can ever remember. So uh, that's uh, making up for that. So, um, Steve, you got anything else for me? No, it's just kind of a fun time of the year, Brian, because, uh, you know, this road trip, you're playing the two closest pursuers in your division. So I'm sure they're looking at it like this is our big chance to make a move. And the Orioles are looking at it like this is our big chance to let everybody know, hey, we're on top right now and, you know, uh, we're going to be around. So um, it's really important for all three teams. So you've got three teams in the mix over a week of some exciting baseball. They have to do it on the road in tough places to win. Three and six last year at Rogers Center. So winning on Thursday night was big and uh, should be a fun week. Absolutely. And definitely doing it with missing some guys to injury, Hardy, Joseph, O'Day. So any wins you can get when you're not at full strength, they add a little bit, it's a little bit sweeter. So that's good. So, um, Steve, enjoy the rest of the, the series in Toronto again. No more luggage issues. I'm, I'm making the claim now. That's great. Hope you enjoy your time up there, buddy. We'll, uh, we'll talk next week. You got it, Brian. Thanks.